Hello and welcome to the Body Knows podcast. The show that's all about exploring the wisdom of the body through the experiences, teaching and lives of our guests. We are your hosts, Marcela Enriquez Wakeham and my husband, Matt Wakeham. And we're so happy to have you here with us today. Aho, let's make 2021 a great year. Starting with this first new episode of the Body Knows podcast with senior Western Theravedan Buddhist monk Achan Suchito. We could not be happier to be able to share this deep, compassionate, somatic wisdom as we set forth into the new year together. Ajahn Suchito entered monastic life in 1975 in Thailand, but has been based in Britain since 1978. He spent 14 years training under Ajahn Samedo, the senior Western disciple of the Thai forest Buddhist master Luang Po Cha, and is part of that direct lineage of practice in Theravadan monasticism. Beginning in 1979 with the foundation of Chittavaveka Monastery in Chithurst, West Sussex, under the guidance of Ajahn Chah, and later Amaravati in Herefordshire with Ajahn Sumedho, he is one of those who are instrumental in establishing Theravadan Buddhism in the West. He was also the abbot of Chittavaveka between 1992 and 2014, when he resigned the post, although he still continues to teach as before. The title of a chan denotes an expert spiritual teacher in the Thai language. And for Matt and I, he has been just that. We have practiced meditation and qigong with him on silent retreats, as well as through his talks on the Buddhist teaching and many written teachings. This first season of the podcast has been all about us speaking with people who have been direct influences, teachers and companions to us. And when drawing up a wish list of guests, Achan was always one who we both dearly wanted to interview. Such has the impact of his teaching been on us. The Thai forest tradition has a very direct style and approach to practice the teachings of the Buddha and to daily life. There are spiritual practices that ignore, deny, abuse or try to transcend the body. And so we wanted to speak with Ajahn to gain his spiritual perspective on the importance of reclaiming our feelings our sensations and instincts, and the value of listening to the wisdom of the body. Some of the Buddha's instructions on mindfulness emphasizes that we should directly know the body into the body, and that mindfulness of the body encompasses all states that give rise to wisdom. We knew a Chan would provide clear, loving, joyful, first-hand personal experience upon this, and we were not disappointed by what he had to share. All of Ajahn's books are available for free distribution and are also free for download via forestsanga.org. His talks, essays and reflections are also available on his site, ajahnsuchito.org, where you can also sign up for his newsletter, in which you will get updates about all of his teaching engagements, both live and virtual, as well as links to recorded teachings. You can also find him on the ever-popular Insight Timer app as at ajahnsuchito. The interview took place over Zoom in the time between the second and the third lockdown in the UK. I was in Devon teaching the final module of Still Flowing Yoga teacher training. Matt was at home in West Sussex. Anna Chan was at Chitta Viveka. The recording of Matt's voice is not great for some unknown reason. However, we have done our best to maximize playback quality. This episode was edited by Bijoy Ahmed, who we hired through Fiverr 
and who deserves the biggest Enrique's Wakem family shout-out for saving Christmas when our own edit crashed and corrupted and left us out of time to start over. Please see the show notes for a link to his highly recommended services. Our listener shout-out this month goes to Jesse Rose. Jesse is a life coach and a near-death experience survivor. Jesse reached out to us via Instagram to share her story after we posted a reflection upon the ineffable support the body gives us even when facing death. In response to our last conversation with counseling psychotherapist Mark Craven, you can discover more of Jesse's story of self-healing, harmony, love and alignment for yourself on her Instagram account at Jessie Rose Coach where she also has a link to her site and services. You can listen to our conversation with the Ajahn and take part in his mindfulness of the body meditation after this brief message. We are proudly sponsored by Made by Coopers, a modern apothecary crafting natural and organic products for your skin and soul. Founders Claire and Darren Cooper started the brand after they went on a mission to heal their own sleep disorders and anxiety problems. It was yoga, breathwork, meditation and aromatherapy that helped them and led them to a three-month journey of discovery in India, where they had the idea to start a wellness brand that boosts, balance and supports emotional well-being and helps with sleep, vitality and more. All their products are vegan certified and free from nasties, so there is no parabens, synthetic colors, fragrances, mineral oils or SLSs, and the skincare line is derived from plants with the majority of the ingredients being raw and food grade. They are cruelty free and they use no filling or bulking agents, keeping the formula concentrated for results. We love their products and we're sure you will too. Head on over to the shop at madebycoopers.com and use the discount code BODY20 at checkout for a 20% discount off all products. That's B-O-D-Y-2-0. Ajahn. Hello there. Hello. Hello. Many apologies for us not for our, we had some confusion on our end about sending the link to you. Oh yeah, well, confusion is the norm. yes it it does seem to be yeah occasionally things work and that's great yeah it works oh my god my heart is pounding i'm so oh so honored to to talk to you to see you to be in presence through this Yeah, a little, a little square box. <laughs> I don't have any legs, you see. I, I don't exist below my chest. <laughs> I can leave my leg. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'm, I shan't be trying to do the same thing. <laughs> How is everything there with you well, during, yeah, this, during this time? It's compared with what a lot of people have to deal with. We've got no complaints, really. You know, it's a bit restricted. It's slightly incarcerated. But we've got... Yeah. We've got 180 acres to be incarcerated in, so it's not a bad gulag. And, uh, you know, the guards are pretty good. <laughs> they feed you regularly. So, are you, I mean, are you able to do arms rounds now? Is that... Oh, we are. They're doing it occasionally, yeah. They kind of have to be a bit contrived because they, they can only have about six people 
come towards you. So you've got to keep your sense of course. It loses some of the kind of spontaneous joyfulness of the armed warmth a little bit. And have, have the monk do the the monks have to be spaced apart? I think we're in the same bubble. So you're in the bubble. You're okay. Yeah. And you have That's to a wear, very good... wear the mask. No, I think you're okay outside. You see, we have to do it outside. And so, but then people had still have to stay, you know, with a lot of caution, which makes it a bit clunky because part of it is this so sort of joyful, spontaneous flow of it all is what's so inspiring. It's a little bit contrived, you know, but it's, it's still, it's good to get out. Well, it's fantastic that, you've, that we've been able to organize this. And uh, it, even though the, the last minute minor blip that you're here, so I believe, so we spoke about sharing a, a practice and, and you suggested maybe beginning with that. So maybe if we, if we start there and then we've got, Marcel and I have got some, we've got some questions written up and we'll sort of use them as a structure, but obviously, you know, they may take us on some other avenues for conversation as well. And we'll try to be, I've got a little timer running. I'll be try, we'll, we'll try and be mindful of your time so we don't run over. Okay. Okay, so let's take some time and check in with the perhaps the most obvious and sometimes overlooked fact of life we have bodies we're embodied and if you you close your eyes how you how do you know you have a body you probably experience a series of sensations that you call your body but for sure you don't experience <laughs> your spleen your liver your pancreas your lungs all kinds of areas even at the surface of the body you're not experiencing you're experiencing two or three major areas like the seat the hands the face the back perhaps a bit of the back and that the mind sums all that up that's my body which is true but it's certainly not the whole thing and so we just know we have an awareness of the body which is assembled through the mind relating to a series of sensations. Is there anything else? Because you feel a degree of warmth. You call your body it's a certain warmth. Hmm. A sense of it's, it's dense, it's a texture to it. It's a density to it. And you're probably experiencing, when you take your time, the regular rhythmic movement that you call your breathing. And you don't see any breath, you don't watch any breath, but you, you can't see any breath, but you can feel this rhythmic flow of breathing in and breathing out. And they're quite distinctive, distinctive, uh, different. All that. We'll call this the direct body, the experienced body. And you might notice it's pretty sensitive to changes of pressure, temperature. And it's also, you take your time. It's pretty much connected to the mind. I mean, through the emotion, whether you feel relaxed or tense, busy, happy, irritated, you can feel that affects this 
experience of body it makes it agitated or calm or comfortable. So as you're sitting there, just ask yourself without coming up with a verbal answer, hmm, how could this get to feel a little more comfortable, settled, steady? What can I just relax a little bit now? Maybe shoulders, around the eyes. Oh yeah, body knows how to relax. And notice your thinking mind doesn't want to relax <laughs> quite. Or it, it's, it takes the time, so you've got to keep checking it because it spins out into should be and what to do next and the next thing. It's taking time to connect thinking mind to body. Perhaps by following the breathing, like how do I know I'm breathing? Is this an in-breath or an out-breath? Try to stay with it as if you're reading it and feeling it. Right down, there's a pause between the out-breath and the in-breath. Give yourself the occasion to take time. And you can see it's also helpful to consider this as like a craft skill because the mind either spins off or it goes very sleepy. It's operating on a different rhythm, different energy in the body. So tuning it into the energy of the body and using your spine, straightening your spine. Give yourself a sense of firmness. And relaxing the face, chest, hands. And come into a balance of alert, ease. This we call skilled meditation, body meditation. It's pleasant and it's very natural. And it's something you can use to temporarily at least just put aside concerns, the energies, the emotional tangle, just slip it off like you're slipping off a coat and go back to something that's much more long term. Breathing in, breathing out, 
leaving the body, letting the cares of the day slide away. And applying calm, alert ease to the, any issues of the heart. We're using this body as a means for one's welfare. time extend uh, your awareness over the entire vitality of the body which you can experience as a certain vibrant uh, quality from your feet up to your head back to front source of joy. As you remember that question, how do you know you have a body? What kind of body is this? You put aside the idea of your body and the visual impression of it. You put those aside, experience something remarkably different and remarkably more fruitful. It's a field, somatic field, sympathetic to the heart, calming for the mind brightening and liberating. Okay, let's take some time to surface. We're still feeling the sensations back hands, face, seat, staying centered in that. And slowly allowing your eyelids to fold back you know, so you can see light coming in through your eyes and reorient to your place where you are in the room. Thank you, Ajahn. Thank you. Very helpful for us as interviewers to have that <laughs> skillful beginning and teaching. Yes. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. As we've said, we'd like to just we obviously we intend the conversation. I mean, as the name of the podcast um, indicates, you know, primarily be. Uh, 
bodily focus as your meditation was. You know, primarily be about mindfulness of the body in meditation and maybe the body as refuge. However, we wondered if we, if just briefly before we start, we could hear a little bit about what first brought you to practice and, you know, the Thai forest tradition, your path. Uh, I suppose in a nutshell, suffering. <laughs> <laughs> the first noble truth. It wasn't just a noble at the time, it just didn't be noble at all. So it right. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that the noble truth of suffering, it doesn't feel too noble. It's kind of ignoble. Such a meaninglessness in life, so a feeling of meaninglessness in just getting by the conventional round. Didn't feel motivated towards the career. Didn't know what the point of being alive was about. What's all you here for? You know, looking around and see we're just going to work and doing stuff. What's that all that about, you know? And, What's it all about? So, I don't know. But then, you know, you sense there must be something. And I think at that time, it's about the 1960s, they were just getting these, some suffusions of Eastern mysticism becoming slightly more available in Britain. So you think, oh, this, maybe this is what it's about. So try and get into some of this. But there wasn't any teacher or teaching where I was in a country town in Bedfordshire, Dunstable, not, not, Big Sur, is it? Pretty dead town. Um, so, you know, you do this at university and you try this look and that, and then you cut a long story short, go to the east. That's where it all is. So I went off to, traveled over overland, tried a communal lifestyle, unconventional lifestyle at the time, you know, didn't really want to fit in, so drop out. Went to India, didn't find what I was looking for there, just got very sick. So I ended up in Thailand. That's where I happened across uh, meditation classes being taught in English. So I thought, well, I'll do that for a while and see what happens. That looks like that might be something useful. And my first meditation class, the most useful, well, the most you know, significant thing was just how impossible it was to stay focused on breathing. My mind was just all everywhere but breathing. So, well, this is completely out of control. I had to do, you know, I didn't realize it was this bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so simple you can't do it so well I better you know try and get focused on this and I thought the best way to do that would be the person who was teaching was a monk Buddhist monk so I, I said can I come stay in your monastery for a while he said yeah certainly no charge come and stay so I did and I ended up staying there for about three years doing this rather more intensive uh, Burmese <laughs> Patipatana style. This wasn't forest tradition. This was another called the insight tradition. So, yeah, I, yeah, I know the Burmese. I've, I've, I've uh, yeah. done a little bit with Burmese practice yeah. as well. So that was very intense. And then, but then my father passed away. Well, but I did have the chance to meet Ajahn Sumedho, who was chief Western disciple of Ajahn Chah, first Western disciple of Ajahn Chah, forest master. He struck me as a very mellow and easeful and spacious kind of fellow. Oh, he seems like he's got something. Mm. And then he said he was going to England to start a monastery. I thought, well, good luck, you know. There's not much there. No, <laughs> no chance there. But then a year, about six or seven months later, I suppose, or maybe, maybe a year later, I ended up going to England because my father died. So I went back to England. And I thought, well, I'll look up that Sumedho because he was a nice guy. and, and I'm getting very confused being in Britain. So I stayed with him and then I, I learned a few things. Meditation changed quite radically, but then presented you know, a whole way of life, living as a 
there's a monk, Buddhist monk, but people, local people seem to appreciate. They're actually very glad to see you, these are English people. And that was it, was that Chittavaveka? Is that a Chithurst? No, oh, that's before Chittavaveka started. First of all, in London. Was that an, a, a Hampstead at the, the London Vihara? And uh, then we stayed at a uh, Burmese businessman at a house out in Oxfordshire, a big country estate. So we stayed there and people would come because he was quite philanthropic and he liked to have retreats. Uh, people would come and offer food and seek instructions and they seemed very keen. Oh, this is, this is a whole kind of, you know, it's, it's a culture, not just an internal practice, it's a culture that people participate in. And, well, okay, I'll stay with this until the, you know, until something better comes along. I'll stay with this. <laughs> Nothing better has come along. That, that was forty odd years ago. <laughs> I've got a feeling it's not going to come. <laughs> yeah, you better stay there, Chan. Yeah, you're waiting with the bus for forty, forty or forty-five years. It's not coming. Do you think there is a bus? <laughs> so that's how it started. And he's he was. Obviously, he was trained in Thai forest tradition, which put a lot more emphasis on a way of life, not just meditation. Meditation was really quite simple. Just be aware, you know, the body will mostly just emphasize no, no, no high detail, intense scrutiny, no microscopic scrutiny, just an overall awareness. And uh, you could obviously deepen it, or it would deepen by itself. A lot more training in terms of way of life, you know, culture precepts, procedures, protocols, living simply, living in a community, all that. And I thought, well, okay, this is, you know, this is kind of wholesome. And do this yeah. one, do this for a while. Mm. Yeah, it was the simplicity of, of the Thai forest practice, the, the, you know, the, the directness, the, the somatic nature of it, the clarity, the lack of the esotericism that really spoke to me. I feel really lucky that we'd just come back. Marcel and I had been in Thailand and I'd, I'd um, been on retreat at Swan Mok and, mm -hmm. got, to and got to practice there, obviously with, you know, Ajahn Buddhadasa's version, taught by an English expat there, expat there, Tan Dharmavidu. We came back to London and I think within a month you were speaking at the at London Insight. And uh, yeah, well, I, I, I couldn't, it just all seemed too fortuitous that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd just read Jack Cornfield's book and he'd spoken about finding the one seat and it seemed like the one seat was coming finding me this spoke very clearly well, so isn't it? when you're ready the teacher appears for me too i went to thailand but for do a yoga retreat so i couldn't do to any, i couldn't go to any meditation ashrams over there but the first time i was with you and i remember you were talking about obviously it was with all this yoga, very embodied and feeling my body changing. I remember doing the meditation with you and you were make us to stand up and feel the energies of the body. You say, yes, oh my God, I can't do that. I can't feel that. I, that's easy. Yes. <laughs> and doing the breathing the body. Yeah, that was very helpful. And it continues being very helpful. Right. Yeah, it's not a technique, it's just a realization. You know, this is what you exactly. It, it, yeah, it was a felt sense that before I was trying to count the breath, mm -hmm. and it was so technical that I couldn't make it something applicable or feeling it. But yeah, I could, the whole body feeling was very clear and yeah, it yeah. eased my mind in a such a way I could focus into the feeling sense is like a for me was all oh, right if the mind is in the feeling the mind cannot think that's brilliant i got to use the feeling sometimes the feeling is not obviously if you're in pain 
but you can focus in something that doesn't have pain. You have a choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a great, great, uh, great possibility of pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Buddha himself said, I teach pleasure, which was pretty revolutionary for the Samana ethic where they were doing a lot of asceticism and mortification. He said, no, I teach pleasure. Amazing. Oh, teaching pleasure? He said, yeah, surely this is, you know, I teach the pleasure born of, you know, this kind of cultivation of body, which was pretty mind-blowing. It still is in many respects, because people still kind of have the sense of meditation is all sort of ethereal up in your head or something, or out there. Yeah, and really, you know, the body's just sort of a meat bag that you can do things with. But really getting through that and just dropping those perceptions and say, well, directly speaking, you're really feeling you know, sensations. And behind all that, with a little bit of calm, you realize it's this huge, well, quite vibrant energy body that's extremely mm. sensitive and attuned to your mood. So if you regulate your body, then your moods shift and change and disappear. It's much better than trying to talk yourself out of being grumpy, you know, or feeling sad. Just go into the body and deal with it there. Absolutely. And, and for us, it's so important for, for our listeners and for me, for us, to someone, a monk like you, that it comes from a tradition that, because many people believe that in the old traditions, the body is denied. Mm. And, and it's very important to hear from, from you that, yes, you can meditate into the pleasure of the body. It brings that ease of, it's there. The body's there, right there, in a close proximity with your palm to your arm. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for clarifying that. Or yeah. validate it. Really, because it, you see, you've got this whole kind of platonic Look in the West, you've got the Platonic tradition, philosophical Platonic tradition. Plato is really idealism, ideals, mm -hmm. you know, the ideal world, which is a world of ideals, you know, that we can see dimly. And you've got on top of that, you've got kind of Augustinian Christianity, the body is carnal sin. Mm. You get that lot. Then you get Descartes, saying the only thing that exists is your thinking and thinking and God, the rest of it is just dead anyway. So you've got three triple whammy already. <laughs> Yeah, you're living in a frantic society where people are just running around like head on wheels, you know, with, with looking at screens and clicking things and operating like machines. You've got the machine now, we've clipped us, we've bolted ourselves to the machine, so we've lost contact with the rhythms of the body. And people yeah. are burning out, burning out. It's this massive disembodiment, this is one of the primary diseases of our day. That's why people are going so crazy, mentally sick, mentally ill, is plummeted. Addiction, anxiety, depression, social dysfunction, sociopaths, people who can't relate, have no emotional relationships anymore. All kinds of wacky stuff going on because people are just, quite frankly, because people are disembodied. Simple thing. And that, of course, affects our relationship to, to the world of nature. You know, we see nature as just the basic, it's a screensaver. <laughs> yeah. on it, you know, because we don't actually feel it and walk on it and breathe it and touch it. We're not related with her anymore. No, no. Yeah, I think so. Uh, with all the chat you have in say, and I want to ask uh, my first question. Well, actually, you answer already one, <laughs> but it's very, it's quite simple. Yet it has a meaning uh, of simplicity. Answer, answer this question: Why? Why meditate? Why meditate? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, why meditate? Why be happy? <laughs> 
<laughs> Why relax, you know? It's, of course, if you think of meditation as being some kind of thing that you do, then that's a good question. Like, why do this particular thing? Like, as a hobby or a craft, when you see it as like, a, why, why clean your face? Why wash your face? Because it feels dirty. Then why wash your mind? Because it feels like it needs it. Why meditate? Because it, your body, your mind needs it. Your mind needs to clean off the debris of the day, to freshen up, to get out of the, the, the gridlock that, you, that your thinking gets you into, to get out of stress. Yeah, you need a clean up. It's like, why clean your teeth? Because if you don't clean your mind, you're a mess. <laughs> brilliant. I knew you were going to give a brilliant answer about it. <laughs> brilliant and simple. Yeah, yeah. That simple question. <laughs> really? Really? And it's shocking because people say, you say to somebody, oh, don't bother to clean your teeth for a week. They think, no. But have you ever cleaned your mind? How old are you? You're 45 years old and you've never cleaned your mind? Oh, yuck. Disgusting. Look at everything that's stuck all over it that's clinging yeah. to it. Yeah. All the grudges and the hurts and the business and the frazzle and the jangle. You know, you just can't wash it off with liquor and sleep. It doesn't only it's only superficial wash down. It doesn't the deep stuff you've got to you've got to clean out. Yeah. How amazing how often you try to clean it out with liquor. I mean, I'm I'm surprised you threw sleep in there. I think it's like liquor and liquor. Let's double down on it that people are trying to clean it out with, you know? So if we did sleep. Sleep, drugs, you know, whatever. It's something mm -hmm. to kind of just do that for you. But it's it's not, not it's just, you know, really morally moral disapproving. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I tried. Yeah. I, yes, <laughs> I've, I've certainly tried as well. Like, Me I, too. Those things don't work. They don't work. <laughs> yeah. Especially, you know, the, especially the more you do them. <laughs> Exactly, it wears off. But then you take meditation as being some kind of obstacle course where you've got to leap through hoops and do fantastic things. Yeah, you don't want to do it. But if you someone will just be at peace with yourself and re release a few sources of distress, yeah, I'll have some of that. And actually, there is a lot of confusion because the people who sometimes meditate, it wants to, to do the hoops and the loops, trying to catch it mm. up, up there. And, and it misses a point. Yeah, I think so, because it's not about becoming some kind of Olympic champion, but you know, the, realizing the process will work for itself. You will go deeper and you will get more, things will get more refined. There's something selfless about it. It's not a self-oriented, you know, athletic performance. It's a matter of being honest and sincere and releasing stress. And you do that and you'll find that things deeper. You get into different spaces, different states of mind, and not because here I am doing some amazing thing. It's just, I don't want to suffer. And I start to see the place where I'm getting stressed out and stop doing it. Things open up. I can certainly attest to that, gentlemen, on retreat with you, actually, at Amravati. I mean, I've, I've sat there trying to be, do Herculean meditation mm. and, you know, very much coming at it. You know, as you do it, I mean, it's an aphorism as you, you know, how you do one thing is how you do all things. And I was very much trying to push and muscle my way through mm. meditation. And then, the, you know, sort of halfway through a two-week silent meditation retreat, my brain just gave up. And I had this wonderful experience of my body just being there. And collectedness was just there. And it wasn't, it wasn't something I was doing. It was an a priori thing that was there for me already. Yeah. 
So I'd like to talk about sort of like the path, maybe yeah, sort of into the body. The very, I mean, the very first Buddhist teaching or meditation that I came into contact with was Tiana Panasati, mm-hmm. Mindfulness of Breath. You know, of course, years later, it's you know still an ongoing investigation. You know, uh, and you find that breath, you know, it's quite, it's it's in everything. The awareness of breath touches everything when you're meditating. Uh, I wonder, you know, what more, you know, this is, it seems like such a simple practice, but I wonder what more you could tell us about breathing as, you know, the entry point into the somatic experience of the body. Yeah. Well, I think there are certain assumptions that are made that become so established, we don't realise they are additions, such as focusing on the sensation in your nostrils or your belly. The Buddha doesn't, never said that. He never said that. He never said focus on any particular point in the body. And it's not a physical thing. I mean, sure, it's basically the prana, as you're probably well aware, is the Pali word for prana, which we see in yoga, pranayama, the life force. So it's in the life force. So in, um, in India, it's in China, in many of these cultures, breathing is, um, is an action of the body that circulates the prana, the life force, the vitality through the system. And this has got spiritual resonances to it. You know, pranayama is a spiritual process. You know, is a spiritual process. The breathing has a spiritual dimension to it. You know, the breath of God is even there in, you know, in Western religions. It's this sense of the life force itself, you know, because it's given, we didn't create it. It happens to us. Yeah. We can't make it. We can't decide to have more than we've got. <laughs> We can't, you know, it's involuntary. So since, well, there's this amazing thing that we're given that has vitality to it that comes from some mysterious force. So, of course, this is where you get the religious thing about it. But they could also feel it opening up kinds of channels in the body that are extremely potent. And as the mind tunes into those, all kinds of uh, subtle mental states and subtle spiritual suffusions start to occur by themselves, like piti sukha rapture, joyfulness, and ease, and comfort, and a deepening, whereby much of the mental hardware starts to deconstruct. You know, the personality structure starts to soften, and there's something else there that's luminous and bright. bright. Now, this is, to me, this is really essential. This is what the process is about. But you can often find it that people are slogging away at trying to get this one moment at a time focus on the nostrils. And, I mean, sure, that's yeah, I mean, that, that's an admirable effort, but it's like, isn't actually what the Buddha taught? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I didn't know. <laughs> he didn't teach it. So you think, well, if he's supposed to be the great teacher, why didn't he teach it if this is essential? Perhaps because it's not essential. And I can even say that to some extent, I think it can be, let me think, for some people it's even damaging because they're already so uptight and tense. Wow. That they're breathing. I just can't have another breath. It's just too difficult for me. You know, to try and keep that narrow, rigid focus with a sense of don't miss a beat, you know, stay with it. You've got to stay unbroken mindfulness of every moment, every instant, and get finer and finer and finer until you can focus on microscopic microseconds of it. You know, what kind of mind does that? Well, I think some people can do that, but the kind of effort and willpower that's needed, it's not, it's, it's like a lot of people just say, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm tired already. When you look in the sutta, the Buddha never says that. He says, this is a source of ease and comfort. When I do this, my body is not strained. My mind is not strained. I feel extremely at peace. So, well, 
no, this is this is a different thing. <laughs> and then if you, so, you think no, it's about this the rhythm of the breathing and the embodiment of it, the way that the energy of the breathing circulates through the entire body, and the mind when it tunes into it is made good extremely. It holds the mind. You don't have to hold it. It holds you. Mm. It's like it wraps around your mind, and you settle, and you let go into it, and all that willful got to do it, got to make it work stuff that drops away, which is good. <laughs> you know, then you you know you you deconstruct a lot of this complicated personality has got to be this and that and the other and get in mind and get to this state or another, and that, all that passes away and stuff happens by itself, which is the whole you know axis of the Buddhist teaching on not self. Is, you know, this personality structure is not in charge of the show. There's some another quality that's more fruitful, which you call Dhamma. I think it's very helpful. And, and even this time, you can see that, you know, the amount of willpower that people are by default called upon to meet the demands of their life. Like, hey, it's eight o'clock, get going. Miss that. Hurry up, get there. That gate's about to close. Could you please go faster? Stop now. Wait a minute, could you put your mask on? Don't, you know, it's kind of constant being ordered around by machines or by systems. That is, is even if they try to do good, the very energy of it is extremely constricting. And what happens is people's breath starts to restrict. You know, a lot of people can't get their breath, feel their breath much below the rib cage because the whole system is seized up with tension. <laughs> yeah. And that is physically, just physically and physiologically, that is unhealthy. Forget spirituality, this is just downright diseasing. And it has all kinds of effects on respiratory system, on circulation, on everything, on energy and so forth. So it's learning to let yourself breathe or try to get, relax your diaphragm, which is the power, willpower center, and let your belly, breath descend into your belly and breathe all the way out, and breathe all the way in and let it happen. That simple thing is pretty transformative in terms of the mindset. I don't have to make it work. I can, I can rest into it. And that, I think, is one of the fundamental things to get with an opponent's side. It's not supposed to be an obstacle course. It's supposed to be you know, uh, something that will comfortably take you through and out of stress in many, in many respects, spiritual, physical, physiological, uh, and so forth. The whole gamut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think so. That's a very good time to ask for me this question. One of the Buddhist instructions or the Buddha instructions, I mean, who knows what the Buddha says and what the Buddha is saying. <laughs> you may tell me if he's the Buddha or the Buddhist. Emphasizes that we should directly know the body into the body. And I've read you say mindfulness of body encompasses all states that give rise to wisdom. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? <laughs> the last phrase, the Buddha said it, not me, I repeated it. Good, the Buddha <laughs> so, said it. <laughs> That's a pretty, you know, a pretty full-on statement to make. I wouldn't dare to say that, but he did. <laughs> well, uh -huh. because wisdom at least the Buddhist understanding it, of it, in this sense, is uh, wisdom as is pertinent to liberation. This is not wisdom in terms of theory or metaphysics. It's not abstract wisdom. You know, it's direct wisdom. You know. Abstract wisdom would give you ideas of the cosmos, 
the nature of reality, God, universe, so forth. That's abstract. Direct is what you actually feel directly here and now. So we're only, <laughs> and the body is the primary instrument of feeling in the here and now. You know, the mind can be moved to feel things that are not here and now. We can have worry about the future. We can have regrets about the past. We can imagine all kinds of things happening. Yeah. Uh, so they're concocted. The body only knows what's really happening now. So this is immensely helpful for pruning away the proliferating delusions of the mind. Yeah. And our, in the Buddhist understanding of it, wisdom, a lot of it is about just wisdom to know what is causes stress and what releases it. It's not metaphysical wisdom. Mm. It's direct practical wisdom. So it helps to get something that gives you a very direct reading on when you're getting stressed and not. And this is what the body does. Your thinking mind can go, oh, I'm fine. I'm really okay. I'm just having a busy day today. I'm not really upset about anything. Yada, yada, yada. I'm not angry. I'm just being clear. I'm not being angry. I'm just being I'm directly saying, mm. well, you look like you're angry because your eyes are bulging out. No, I'm not angry. I'm just being clear. You know, you get this stuff. And of course, you see politicians, they're talking complete mothers and lies, obviously, and they may even be believing it, you know, coming up with some kind of spiel, because the mind is brilliant in delusion and lying and deceit and self-deception, but the body won't tell you a lie. It doesn't know how to, but it will tell you, you look, you're getting angry, but you, you think it or not, you are. <laughs> give you a straight deal if you want to be truthful you find what you, you check your body out in this sense so in this way the wisdom, wisdom is to clear away the delusions the, the, the uh, deflections the denials the distractions just clear all that away and then this is what mindfulness of body will do it'll give you the straight truth hmm. yeah. of course you've got to take time to read it you know actually what does that mean oh yeah that's that but and and learn some of the sometimes rather um, embarrassing truths, you know, about oneself <laughs> that you don't want to know. <laughs> but if you know the truth, you know, the mindfulness of the body will tell you. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, 100%. What I, you know, I hear what you're saying and what, I've, and what I've noted in your teaching before and what I think you've emphasized a couple of times here already is that um, the body really reflects what's going on in the mind and the mind is at and the mind is apt to gloss over things it will pretend things aren't going on but the body won't but that means that there's a there's a that's a wonderful thing but there's a side to that as well isn't there that, that, that means that coming into the body can be a challenge oh yeah uh, so i wonder if you can give some some pointers uh, how best we approach the body and all of the stress and the emotions and the the pain that we've stored there and that we're pretending isn't there mm -hmm. um, and that we're trying to cover up with our constructions of ourselves and the, the things that we think we should be instead of what we are and how it come to access that more accurate reading that the body gives us of mental activity it's it's a relational experience and there's a lot of love needed to be in your body i mean love you really understand love's not sentiment it's not necessarily erotic pleasure it's just the rock bottom willingness to relate and be peaceful, calm, kindly, non-reactive, spacious about experience, you know, uh, and, and to give to it. And, and so often, you know, people have got traumatic experiences in their body, 
and to some extent many people have degree of it you know shocked areas shut down areas places where they're contracted in their throat or their chest or can't you know i've known people who couldn't feel where their feet were it took them 10 years to find out where their feet were they were so tight <laughs> really you know so how do you get into that well you have to just sort of like tame how do you get to know a wild animal you stand close to it and start crooning at it offer it a lettuce leaf or just you know you enter a relationship which is not too demanding you know so often it maybe means just getting some space and walking and being in nature really helps and walking really helps standing really helps things like you know yoga qigong really help um, if you do them in a kindly non-pressurized way there are all ways in which you begin to open this over more helpful relationship with embodiment as a pre preparation and it's um, a process of patience time and we're trying to get out of this domination paradigm that human beings are prone to when you want to do something done force it if you want you want to dominate it you know make it work and we treat our body like a donkey sometimes you know flog yourself to work and stuff like that and we're trying to get out of that paradigm domination paradigm that we can have towards ourselves and towards others so what about just listening to it feeling it you know sit somewhere comfortable just feel what's happening and with a very simple mantra you know may you be at peace peace just something that keeps you steady and calm get some space around you know, be with nature no stress and it will return it will return it's very forgiving it will return and you have to take your time you can only go as far as it will allow you to um, but if you do form that respectful relationship with your body it will begin to soften and release and open up yeah, yeah that put me in mind of, a, of something i heard you say um one time when i sat with you and um you, you just gave the three words of patience kindness and compassion and um for practice with yourself and uh, yeah um, i've always been extraordinarily grateful for those and i've shared th i've shared those three words with many people as well as they're like the most important thing to have for for yourself that's good thank you be grounded and where you know standing meditation walking meditation are very helpful because they use your feet then and it's, there's something so obvious about the fact you're much more grounded on your feet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obvious yeah. isn't it but yeah you know stand and just let the feet carry the weight and relax your belly you know stop trying to hold yourself up in your head but just relax your belly and let your feet and legs carry you and oh well, yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant i think so i'm going to throw the next question with when you are talking about it. i would like to ask about different ways to meditate because there are apart from the traditional sitting meditation like yeah you already say walking meditation and actually matt and i we, we have been in your chikung practice in the morning during retreats also um, me I'm, I'm a serious yoga practitioner i would like to hear your views on the value of these forms of movement meditation to enter the enjoy a deeper connection with an embodied presence sitting is great if you if you can do it the very fact of immobility can have almost or sort of like you know, subliminal sense a sense of rigidity and being trapped idea but it can bring up this kind of uh, somatic resonance i'm stuck here i've got to sit here 
because we, you know, we've been in situations we had to sit still. Or I am very comfortable of not moving and relating. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can space also. that. Right, but when you stand or walk, you, you are very much, you're not separate from the space you're in. You can't be separate from it. You know, you've got to feel the ground beneath your feet and you develop that. You also feel the space around your chest. You're in a nice open space. You know, you're not, nothing's pressurizing you. And you try to develop the sense of the body being rather like a, like a sail on the mast of a ship, very open as you walk along and you feel the space around you. So then you're very much connected to the space and the ground beneath you. And that itself is really helpful in overcoming these sort of subliminal conditioning of feeling isolated and shut off, which is quite normal in cities because there's a lot of subliminal defense, defending yourself against the unknown crowds of people jumbling through flashing lights and down crowded stairs you, you close in. So that shuts things down. And very much the uh, one of the fundamental themes of, say, Western society in particular is the individual, make it on your own. You've got to make your own way in the world. You've got to be independent in the world. Mm. Um, this is harsh because nobody's independent. You cannot be independent. You can deny the dependency. <laughs> And we depend upon the earth. We've done that very well. Now we've ruined it. We depend on other people. Otherwise, you go dysfunctional and socially dysfunctional and psychologically strange. So we're not independent. It doesn't mean we're dumb puppets. It means we have to live in a mutuality sharing relationship. Now, when you walk, that should be the case. I'm walking through space. I'm walking on ground. I'm aware of what's immediately around me. I'm not going out into it. But at the same time, I'm not kind of recoiling from it inside and the movement helps to relax some of the tension that people experience if you're feeling tense the best thing to do is just a steady simple rhythmic movement to release tension if you're feeling compacted and tight the best thing is to get some space around you so the body begins to ease up and sitting doesn't always do that because you can space out when you mm. sit you know you can go off into daydreams and fantasies and so on you know, you know, no, well, uh, <laughs> actually, yes, I during I like to move. I like to move because I think so the first time I enter into the stream of contemplation and feeling the, the now was during movement uh, 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 with you when I did that. And because my practice for me, sitting is more easier than my mind wanders around. Uh, and when I move. I am in direct contact with the feeling sense of the breath, of mm. the muscles stretching, of the bones connecting. So, yeah, I, it is quite nice to hear it, to, to hear it from, because you also, many people and me also, if, if I'm not sitting, I feel I'm not meditating. It took mm. me quite a long time to, hold on, no, yes, I am meditating, but I'm moving. But it was like an inner, oh, no, you're not meditating, okay, inner mind, critic mind. <laughs> you, you don't see it. Therefore, you don't meditate. So, yeah, it's good to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's easier to be with a moving object than with a still one. It's also is relationally much more attuned. So even if you're sitting, you should be with the movement. It's still a subtle force. You get, if you're careful, you can train so you can pick up subtle degrees of movement. I'm starting to do that. Yeah. I'm starting, I mean, sitting 
of the 10 years I've been meditating, moving, I think. So this is my first year I start enjoying the stillness. Uh -huh. sitting. Yeah, I think so I need to move a lot of things around before. <laughs> yeah. I think I had the same experience, but it was like almost converse. It's like, I didn't want to be doing the, the walking because mm -hmm. that wasn't meditation. That I, you know, I heard yourself expounding and I also think I read Ajahn Sumedho talking about, you know, the, uh, and, and that's why I believed it, the collectedness you could get through walking through a movement was, was far more stable, but still I'd be like, oh, this is just walking. And then, as I, I'd already said before, I mean, it was, it was in walking meditation, the, the just doing something crystallized. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's just doing it. And this is, this is as simple as it is. Yeah, you don't need much of an identity to walk. No. <laughs> Feet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember being at, yeah, at Swan Mock, and I'd be like, you know, you'd sit, you'd walk, you'd sit, you'd walk, and I'd be like, oh, let's get this walking bit over, because I want to get back and do the meditating. Yeah, I was saying in the Buddha, you know, the samadhi that develops through walking is long, long lasting and resilient, you know, because in a way you, you, you sort of massage it into your body. Mm -hmm. And I think with walking, you've got to learn to walk from the hips rather than just march with your head. It's really walking like swimming, you know, it's a rhythmic flowing experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, likewise, it took me like years to unlearn, I'm, you know, approaching the struggle of trying to calm the mind with the mind. You know, and I, I think you've, I mean, you've already spoken a little bit about this, but you know, it's a wonder if you can explain the process of embodiment, to, you know, to not search, just to not be searching for the breath, to let things come, you know, and what that gives us access to. Yeah, it's, you don't search it, you, you wait for it to come. And that, again, that's kind of what the Buddha did. It's <laughs> not doing anything original, really, if you look carefully. So just, you know, he tried this very forceful meditation, stopping breathing. And he just found this is just tiring and doesn't get anywhere, just relax. And then recollecting, sitting under a tree and then feeling comfortable and calm. Oh, yeah, breathing. Yeah, it's pleasant. Yeah. So it's like, you, you know, my recommendation is, first of all, find your body, you know, and get comfortable with your body, get your body to be stable and comfortable and feel space around it. So, you, you know, it's like you're sitting under a tree. You've got the firm support behind you, you've got a canopy over you, nobody's bothering you, you're in your space, you're comfortable. That's, you know, that's very nice, you're deeply grounded. And you sit in that, and enjoy it. And as the body begins to settle down, the mind settles down, you know, oh yeah, breathing. Oh yeah, of course, that's that, it's just a swelling. Then you pick it up, wait for it to, wait for it to come. And pick up, pick up what you feel, maybe just the swelling of your belly, could be the pressure of your clothes against your chest, could be the slight tugging of the, down the back of the throat. Pick up any of it and you stay with it and gradually that it will open. It will, it will, it will, take, it will begin to become more, more complete in itself and it, because it's a process. Yeah, one of the most valuable meditations that I read in your book, Meditation, A Way of Awakening, is contemplating the changing nature of the body using the elements like earth, air, water, fire, and space. Uh, this meditation gave me a very clear sense or embodied sense of meditating through breath, emotions, and, and thoughts. So can we, could you outline them a little bit? Can you give us a little experience yeah. of it? Well, the elements is essentially, I mean, the language is poetic in a way, metaphorical, but it's, mm. 
but that, that's good because then you can refer to external things such as you know elements externally the trees and so forth plants and, and also psychologically you know Elements, simply speaking, of earth element, which is the degree of firmness, the ability to retain a retain presence, you know, certain substantial quality. Which is, oh yeah, right. That's that. Some of it's bone, very very firm, and some of it's hard muscle, and some of it's much softer. But it's the degree of earth of firmness, soft to to rigid. And, oh yeah, that's that. Now that itself, that's not male or female, young or old. It's just that's it. And so it's kind of beautifully intimate and yet at the same time anonymous. So you don't have to worry about how good your earth is. <laughs> you know, is it the best earth or somebody got better earth than you have? What does people think about your earth? It's just, no, it's not a topic. Now, a lot of the kind of you know, issues that can go around in people's superficial appearance passes away. And then you something, oh, yeah, you feel that. It's also, it's, 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 it's changing. The degree of earthiness shifts and changes. So it's something that's alive, it's not dead earth, it's a living earth. Uh, you detect that, then you might detect uh, warmth, degree of warmth. Some parts of the body feel quite warm, some parts less warm, some parts quite cool. Oh, yeah, there's that. It's to do with vitality you know, and how blood is circulating, warmth. So you can feel that. Again, that's anonymous and yet very intimate. And then you have know, the quality of air which is the moving primarily the breath the breath moving any degree of movement and buddha said it's also movement through the limbs so it could be energy energies rushing up and down your arms or anything that moves like wind you know and water is the thing that cohesive in other words everything is in the same like a lake you know everything is in, there's no boundaries in the body there's no there's no hard lines everything melts together and so these qualities, and you can look at you can look at them outside. There's the earth. Look at the sun. You look at the light in the sky. There's the fire. Look at the wind blowing leaves around. You know, water. You know, it's water. You can see them psychologically when you're all fired up, or when you've got rock solid, rigid, or you're firm and decisive. And they can be negative or positive qualities. Too much air, you're restless and fluttery. Not enough air, you're stagnant and rigid. Too much water, you, you've got no perspective, you're just swampy. But you haven't got enough water, you're not compassionate or harmonious, you can't encompass anything you get. You know, this is this and that's that. You draw, keep drawing lines all over the place. And, um, you know, people get very um, obsessive about rules and regulations and systems, and this is this, and so you get no water, no ability to be harmonious. So these, these resonate across different domains of our experience. And then the aim, well, when you're sitting there in your body, you want to feel as much too, I just feel uncomfortably hot, too much energy. Where, where's there a cool place? What's needed? Oh, yeah, if I let my attention shift to cooler places, the fire element finds itself more balanced. You know? uh, if I'm getting very rigid and tight, too much earth here, where is it a bit softer, more spacious? And you put the two together, and they gradually they, they find balance and ideally all the elements exist in harmony you know and this is pretty much the principle of chinese medicine mm. i think in medieval europe they used to have these four different humors associated with these so this is folk folk wisdom and i don't think it's it's not uh, stupid 
it's relating to something that's just of a different, a different notion than the body as an anatomical machine that you can kind of poke a pill in and stick chops off, chop bits off with a knife. No, I'm not saying that's not helpful, but the um, primary earlier understanding was the body, if it's sick, it's not in harmony. You know, it's, it's humors, it's, its elements are not in harmony. Can we find a way in which you can harmonize? And a sense of, if the body's in harmony, it will repel illness by itself. Yeah. You give it intelligence. You don't treat it as something you have to do things to, like, like our attitude towards life in general, you know? The uh, chop a tree down and castrate the dog because <laughs> it's not convenient. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and then we do it to humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just let the gravity of that all sink in, shall we? <laughs> like, really treat, treat the body as an intelligent system, even if it's going crazy, it just means yeah. it has to be responded to. And, encouraged to to come into its own harmony rather than i'm going to i'm going to start pushing it around you know because it's not speaking the way that i believe it oh, should right right it's telling me messages i don't want to hear yes yeah the body may be it may be communicating its wisdom but uh it, you can't it's only for those with ears to hear because it's rhythmic you see and it's organic so it doesn't do nine to five it doesn't do five seven day weeks it doesn't do deadlines <laughs> So it may be inconvenient. Very inconvenient for the working world. So the best thing is to kind of domesticate it into something you can use like a machine. And of course, then it gets sick. Yeah. Which is even more inconvenient. The messages about what it needs get stronger and stronger. Yeah, and you've got massive pharmaceutical industry, which is basically doping the body up. To fit into a convenient system. What's it, you have to ask, who's it convenient for? If it's not convenient for the body, and if it's making you sick, who, what's the convenience? Not to figure that one out. It's money, isn't it? <laughs> no, definitely. Yes, that's the ma the magic bullet right there. I wonder if I can ask you now if we could discuss a little bit the the concept of of, of chitta. You spoke about Descartes a little bit earlier, and you know how since then our culture's located existence in the rational mind. Now, gradually, I believe that our science is is catching up. First, recognizing you know there's an intelligence in the heart. And the part that heart plays in mind. And now it's beginning, I think it's beginning to, you know, this conversation that we're having, you know, it's, begin it's beginning to become more part of a, a general conversation. There's, the, it's a, there's a wide, you know, there's a wider felt sense in that. If the mind's larger than, than reasoning, because consciousness is holistic, I think, I believe, and if it can be experienced as such in the body, what does that mean for the direct experience? our direct experience of, of that the experience of what of this this holistic sense that i believe that's which, which i believe is what chitta is chitta's awareness sometimes you can call it heart mind even spirit i think the problem the word mind is it tends to go to the cognitive faculty mm. rather than say the emotional or emotive faculty or even the kind of reflex in it, um, intelligence so and chitta covers all of that it's essentially that which is there are two or three primary qualities of chitta. One is it has a sense of knowing. It's, it's reflective. It's a mirror. It's able to notice. You know, and you know that you know. You know? Well, you've got an idea. You, you're, you're aware. So there's that primary quality. It's affected. You feel something. It shifts. It, it moves. 
it, it responds. It, it, it feels and it responds. It's affected and it responds. Yeah, that quality. It experiences a sense of center, which we call me. <laughs> there's a problem there. <laughs> but there's a sense of center. I'm not somewhere else. I'm here. I'm a here-ness. And what that here-ness is, so it's that centrality. So it's the center, centering quality in consciousness, um, in the mind consciousness. And it's intimately related to body at least for this lifetime, you know, so it comes into embodiment. So it's right there, you could say it's almost stitched in, or perhaps even stitch is the wrong word, but it's innately configured as the body gets configured from being one cell to being this very complex organism. You can see that every cell has some form of responsive intelligence to it, and they can track that, you know. They can take a scraping off a cheek and put it under, under some microscope and give it an electric shock and a cell in the other room jumps because they mm-hmm. still know each other, you know, this kind of stuff going on. <laughs> Which there's no no thinking happening there, but there's some signal, some intelligence. So if you look at chitta as primary intelligence, and we can say there are you know, very broadly speaking, so you've got gut intelligence, which is to do with much more reflexive, instinctive modalities. You've got heart intelligence, which is about relational acuity. And you've got brain intelligence, which is telling you how to do things. So you can say it's very similar. I sometimes say, well, the, re- the gut, body, gut body intelligence tells you where you are. The high intelligence tells you how you are. And the brain intelligence tells you what you're going to do about it. But some people don't have anything but brain intelligence. They're telling themselves what they're going to do about it, but they don't know, don't know where they are. They don't know how to relate to anything. So it's just constantly... <laughs> jabbering away with all kinds of instructions about what to do, but they don't know where they are. <laughs> you know, because the jitta is, part of it's closed down, shut down. And it gets shut down through trauma, through neglect, through various kinds of default, abusive behaviors and, and disembodiment, you know. So you say awareness covers all of that. Uh, now you can look at it like that. Now you can also say that a very experience arises within awareness. That is, we, we sense, we're aware, and there's a bo- we're aware there is a body. Then you look at it, so you're aware there is a body here. I don't know what it is, but there is a body here. This is chitta. So it's a primary intelligence that is the baseline of all experience. Now it's going to be translated to consciousness, but it's somewhat misleading because certainly in the Buddhist use of consciousness, you have these six consciousnesses and they're really those which, at least most of the Buddhist teachings, of well, the Pali Canon teaching, represent consciousness, that which brings sense data into the jitta, and the jitta runs out into consciousness. Mm. You know, it's, almost, it's almost the heart of consciousness, the knowing. It's like the difference between being conscious and consciousness of seeing something. You know? Being conscious is a sense of awakeness, and then I'm conscious of a sound, which we call vinyana consciousness. There's sound consciousness arising, and it's affecting me this way. There's visual consciousness arising, it's affecting my chitta this way. Yeah? There's tactile consciousness arising, it's affecting my chitta like this. That which is affected, and that which reflects upon that, we call that chitta. Very important because that's, that's what gets liberated. Right. So it's kind of crucial. Finally understood chitta. I thought chitta was just a hard mind. Well, that's why I often end up just using the word. Probably only get a 
a proportion of the chitta, you don't get the whole thing. It's very difficult to find one word that covers it all. If I use a word like intelligence, yeah, but often people then think that's brainy, you know. Awareness, yeah, that's sometimes a bit misty as to what you mean. It's certainly a response, it's that, you say, the fundamental nature of being conscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. It's incredible because in every retreat, there is that question. And because it's a lot of confusion, I confuse myself. <laughs> and yeah, but I think so was very clear this time. Mm-hmm. Ajahn, how are you doing for time? Well, I'm aware that we've been, we did a 20 minute practice and we've been an hour speaking. All right, right. We don't, we don't want to impose ourselves. We uh... okay, we'll just, how are you, how are you doing? Are you any more questions? Marcella, you have one that you didn't ask. You jumped No, right. no, I didn't. No, no. Uh, the Achan ans- answered that question in the beginning of the podcast. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It, it, will be, it will be asking like a twice. Okay. No, it's finished. It will, it's, <laughs> it's been absolutely, absolutely wonderful. You, Achan, talking to us. I really respect your teachings. I respect you as a monk, as a person. I cannot thank you enough how much you have been uh, helping me through life with mm-hmm. all the you t- your talks, just with your persona. What what the most is helpful is when you laugh. <laughs> when you laugh about yeah, it, just it makes me feel yes, it's, life is not so serious because I can feel it through your laugh. Like a <laughs> there's like a ha 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 kind of a little bit. It's so easy. Just but for me that it does it somatically the love does it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that relief from tension. You know, love, yes. Tension and something you're getting tense about. And, oh, then then you, there's that laughter. There's a somatic expression of that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm gra- I'm so grateful that you uh, you were able to join us. That you agreed to join us today. As Marcelo said, we both through our life we've can we've considered you one of our, our primary teachers and to, to get to speak with you and ask our questions directly to you you know means a lot to us and uh, we're it's glad a to get, yeah and we're glad to be able to give it to our to our listeners as well i wonder as well i mean we can obviously share links like forest sanger i know you're on insight timer as well i believe there's another there's a new podcast with you with uh, the book of your travels through india <laughs> which are marvelous books i i recommend those uh that i know that's a, a whole other story is if there's yeah, a... my website and the chitty awake website so if you go to my website that acts as the hub that tells you you know if you go to that one it'll link you to all the other what's the address of your app of your website ajan ajansuchitto.org one one word ajansuchitto Perfect. And that was uh, obviously Chitta Viveka is, and we'll put links to all of these in the show notes um, and, we'll, and we'll say at the beginning. Okay. And uh, when, if you're going to broadcast this, mm-hmm. could you give me a link? Because I, what I will probably do, I have a kind of a mail out which tells people where they can listen to things. So you I am on your mail out. Then I'll be able to put it on the list. Yeah, we will send you, I'll send it to, directly to your email. I'll send you all the links as well. And we'll, we'll, um, we'll also, the, the meditation at the beginning, we'll separate that out and share that as a, as a solo practice on our socials as well. And yeah, we'll, we'll send everything to you. So that'd be marvelous if you can share that with, yeah. with the Sangha as well. Mm-hmm. So how, how, when, how long have you been doing this podcast? How many interviews have you done, Marcella? This is the sixth one. 
last six. We have already two out in all the platforms. Yeah. And when is scheduled, Matthew, their chant? Uh, December. December. On December is, we are releasing uh, the episodes every two weeks. So what, what caused you to do it because of this COVID thing or just out of interest if you do it anyway? I think so, of the interest of me being with my husband, doing things that I love, doing in talking with people about the body wisdom. It came up through COVID when the lockdown said, Matthew, what about if we do a podcast and we talk with people, just things to do together, yeah, and I, without. And I, yeah, I've been, you know, share, moving more. I've, I've worked in media for years and I'm beginning to share more. Like As my practice has matured, I'm beginning to sort of share more of that experience. And it just seemed like a great way for Marcella and I to do something as a couple together, to do something. We've never done something creatively created something mm. other than we have created a, our son. a beautiful boy <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> doing a creative endeavor together so it's something for us to yeah practice for us to be yeah to be together and do something and for me coming out a little bit more from teaching yoga teaching the wisdom of the body of, of the body in kind of another way yeah not just in a mat yeah you know we, we, we having had access to your teachings being in contact with other people just feeling like it's, it's of service to share it as well you know to try and get that out mm. where are you where are you living we're in we're not far from chitta we were in london i was in london for 22 years i'm from worthing originally we live in a little village called lansing oh lansing oh yeah yeah oh, <laughs> lansing brilliant i mean devon and people in devon say where you live lansing what yeah, it's a Lansing College because they used to yes. drive past Lansing College. One of the monks went to school at Lansing College. Yeah, our son thinks it's Hogwarts. It's got a Hogwarts look about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where we're back okay. in Sussex for a while. Okay, well, you never know. We might meet in 3D. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If the powers that be allow us to do that ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you teaching on Sundays? You're an Chitibaveka, right, right now? I'm a Chitibaveka, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I'm, so I teach, I I'm, I'm often do these Sunday things, but I'm taking a few weeks off. Mm. I'll get back onto that in November. Yeah. Teach a few more sessions, Zoom sessions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got a, some other retreats that were originally going to be terrestrial and have gone online. Yeah. yeah. So you do Zoom teachings every Sunday. So we'll, we'll link to those as well. We'll share that. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly share those. That's a oh, yeah. resource. Well, all the best to you, Ajahn. Good luck, yeah. Look forward to the next time our paths cross. Uh, very looking forward. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the episode of the Body Knows podcast. We hope you enjoy it. If you did, then remember to subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you have the time, then leave us a review. It will mean so much for us if you do. We have a favor to ask you too. Please help us spread the word and pass this conversation on to someone you think it would be of value to. Or, if you want to share on social media, then remember to tag us so we can see what you have to say. You can follow us at The Body Knows Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, where we'll be sharing more material from ourselves and from our guests. In the meantime, we are going to be back every month with a new episode. We hope you can join us then. And remember, listen to your body, because your body knows.